wrestler court. Keenan and Turtle wrestler court. Keenan and Turtle wrestler court. Keenan and Turtle, yeah. Keenan and Turtle in the wrestler court. One's a fan, the other used to ref the sport. One will speak and then the other will retort. Things could get heated, someone could get hurt at wrestler court. Keenan and Turtle wrestler court. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Wrestler Court with Keenan and Turtle. I'm Keenan, And I'm Turtle. We are back after a bit of a little week hiatus here. I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad you're back in the saddle today. It's going to be a fun show. I'm excited for it. I was really sick. Can we get, okay. Can we, can, we, can we talk about me? No. Uh, I was down for the count, brother. Like, you know, I'm, One, two, three? Did, yeah, you, did you tap out? I didn't tap out. Which, I'm back. Clearly, I didn't tap out. That's good. I'm glad you're back. And we have a huge guest today. Thanks to you, we have a huge guest today. I can't wait. What did you, you you want to tell us who it is, or, or are you just going to continue to tease? I'm going to tease. That's what we call in the wrestling business, a wrestling business, the radio business, a tease. Well, I'm not going to tease. Today we have the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, on later with us. We're talking all things Price of Fame. We're talking WWE. We're talking State of the Business, his son, Ted Jr. Lots to get into with the Million Dollar Man here in just a little bit. <laughs> I love that laugh. It's iconic. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the greatest. But first, something bothered me. What bothered you? And you know what? I'm actually excited for it. It kind of bothered me, and I'm excited for it. it, it maybe it signals the end to Chris Jericho's WWE run. Uh, that's not necessarily true. But... I loved the lead-up and tease to his new match coming at Wrestle Kingdom 12, I believe it is. Wrestle Kingdom 12. Of course, you're talking about New Japan Pro Wrestling, Wrestle Kingdom 12. The big news while we were off for the week of due to my sickness, Chris Jericho will be heading to the Tokyo Dome for the 1-4 New Japan show titled Wrestle Kingdom for their, in their 12th installment to face Kenny Omega, the Bullet Club's own Kenny Omega, who just might be the best wrestler in the world. The best wrestler in the world that very few in the States, let's say, obviously he's very popular outside, have seen. So I'm looking forward to That's watching not true at all. that match. Well, at least from the average fan, the average Joe fan like I am here, we don't watch the other companies. There's, there's no easy access to get this company on TV, on the internet. It doesn't just you don't just click a button and it's there. Yes, it is. So I'm a little disappointed. New, New Japan Pro Wrestling is on Access TV. You can I, watch What it channel all the time. is that? Whatever access is on Verizon, Comcast, everybody has it. See, well, again, I don't know what channel it is, so it's kind of a hard find for me. But what bothered me originally was the fact that Jericho now might be done with WWE. And I know you told me, and we texted about this before too, that it's not likely that it's over. He didn't sign a long-term deal there. Because Jericho is the GOAT. He is the alpha to the Omega and Kenny Omega. So it bothered me a bit, but I loved the lead-up. They had a little bit of a Twitter war back and forth, talking some smack and... And kind of getting people riled up. And then finally, and I saw the video of this, I did see, was their big payoff. And it was awesome. I forget the name of the actual event, but yes, they they had they did some type of promo where Kenny Omega was in the ring with the with part of the Bullet Club, the Young Bucks, of course, Nick and Matt Jackson. And Kenny was talking about how there was nobody left for him to wrestle, how he had beaten everybody in the world, how he's the best in the world. Lights down, video up. They did a 
not a parody, but a different version of the of the countdown video that you would yeah. see on the WWE. It almost Titan reminded Tron. me of the countdown like they used to do, mixed with a little Bray Wyatt Undertaker e feel, kind of the smoke, the the ambiance. It was so cool. It really was. And Jericho appeared on the screen, and we are now on the road to Wrestle Kingdom 12, January 4th, 2018, the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan. It, it, it's going to be great, and I'm, I'm hoping that this is my introduction into New Japan Wrestling. I've heard a lot of good things about it, and we've spoken about some guests possibly coming on from that organization down the line, and I'm really excited for that as well. I'm hoping this is really is my intro into it, and I get to learn a whole nother style, a whole nother way of sports entertainment that I'm not familiar with. It makes me wonder if Chris Jericho is, if he's pursuing this New Japan opportunity, the WWE lifer, Chris Jericho, who said he would never go anywhere else in his career. Hence my fear, by the way. Well, no, it's not that he's done, but how bad is the state of WWE where he's seeking outside opportunities? I'm not even sure it's the state of WWE that is concerning him. I think it's more the promotion for his cruise. That he wants to get out there. And if he's having New Japan guys, Ring of Honor guys, perform on his cruise, there's got to be a reason why there are... Which they both are. There's got to be a reason why there's no WWE, NXT, 205 Live guys on that boat. Well, the answer is very simple. He asked them and they told him no. Well, that's why he's pursuing outside opportunities. Right. Very simple. We discovered the answer there. Yeah. But I'm excited for it. And I wish I could go on the cruise, but it's not going to happen. But I'm excited for the whole... The festives, the ambiance, and just just to see what New Japan and these guys are all about. Wrestle Kingdom is very comparable to WrestleMania. I remember Cody Rhodes saying one time, we were having a conversation, he's also said the same thing in a couple different interviews, that he had always heard that Wrestle Kingdom was like WrestleMania, and he goes, no, no shot, nothing. There's nothing like WrestleMania. Like, it can't, that's not a thing, right? Until he got to the Tokyo Dome for his first Wrestle Kingdom, and he Looking around, he goes, yep, yeah, the setup, the feel, the stadium. The Tokyo Dome is an actual stadium, which they sell out for Wrestle Kingdom every January 4th. And he goes, yeah, yep, everything I heard is is right on point. This is just like WrestleMania. So it's another another option, another place for people to work. It's another... um, Another place to be seen on a worldwide platform. And a lot of these guys, your Cody Rhodes, who went to New Japan and reinvented himself, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, guys who are able to make a full-time, very good living, very good living, without the WWE machine behind them on a worldwide scale. It's actually very impressive. Now, let me ask you this, and, and I'm so looking forward to this. I'm going to watch and I'm going to be all for it. I'm, I'm going for it with the New Japan wrestling here, and I hope it wins me over. But let me ask you about the rumor that I heard floating on the Twitter sphere. No oh boy. Do you think it's any possible, any way possible, that this sets up a trilogy of matches flowing through the WWE? I do not. The rumor that we heard, now clearly rumors, hashtag rumors, this is not real, we're not reporting this, I want to make this very clear. The rumor that I heard was they would do a match one at Wrestle Kingdom here, match two somehow would happen at uh, Royal Rumble, and match three, the rubber match, obviously one would win either one, would be at WrestleMania. I, I, I Percentage-wise, is it any possible at all? Any possibility at all I for think you? I have a, what is today, Thursday? Today's Thursday. Today's Thursday. We're recording this on Thursday. This episode's going to come out on Thursday. I think I have a better shot at being on Monday Night Raw this coming Monday 
than that happening. Interesting. I kind of liked it. I hope it was going to happen because I heard all this Vince Kenny McMahon, Omega hype, but Vince McMahon I, I trust you. does not know a world exists outside of his world. He doesn't care what a New Japan, All Japan, Ring of Honor, House of Hardcore, he doesn't care what any of them are. He just doesn't because it doesn't help his business. Fair. It doesn't help his business to know what else is out there because to him, Vince isn't wrestling. Vince is entertainment. Sure. He's a completely different realm. So it doesn't help his business to care about anything else, which I understand that point. I, 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 I understand where the boss is coming dis- from. It's a bit disappointing to hear you say that. I was hoping you'd give me 20% chance, 30% chance. Now listen, there's always a chance. Sure, and there's always a chance for everything. People come and return and Correct. leave all the time. But, but as far as this being something that's planned and everybody on the know and this is what we're doing going forward and the creative and this one's going over here and that one's going over there and we're going to do a rubber match WrestleMania, no, I, ju- I, I, I just don't see it. Right now, New Japan does not have a working relationship with the WWE. The WWE does not have a working relationship with New Japan. The two wrestling companies that have a working relationship right now are Ring of Honor and New Japan. New Japan and Ring of Honor. They have a working relationship. They swap talent. Their talent comes over here. Ring of Honor talent goes over there. That's the relationship. WWE is completely on the outside here. disappointed. To hear that, I really am. Now, there's a chance Kenny Omega ends up in the WWE. He was there one time before when he was, you know, much younger in the business. He d- he didn't like his experience there. He asked for his release. He wanted to go out and become his own superstar. And clearly, he proved that. He's well exceeded everything that he's wanted to do to the point where now WWE should want him. Right. And I'm almost positive that they do. Just a matter of if he wants to go there. Well, you got to remember, some of these guys are making such good livings. Such comfortable livings with the freedom of their schedule. These guys don't care about the machine anymore, nor do they need it. You want to know why? Because they're social media. Well, and I agree with you, and I understand. To quote our guest coming up soon, everybody has a price. That is true. Everybody does have a price. And you know what? He's going to tell us about it next. The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, coming up on Wrestler Court. Don't go anywhere. Hey guys, this is former WWE superstar Ted DiBiase Jr. Make sure you tune in to Wrestler Court Podcast with Kevin Keenan and Eric, also known as Turtle. All right, Turtle, slam down the gavel. Court is now in session, and on the line with us is a legend in the world of professional wrestling. He's a former WWE tag team champion, the million dollar champion, star of the film Price of Fame, and a WWE Hall of Famer. His name is the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and he's on the line with us right now. Hiya, Ted. Uh, pretty good, guys. How are you today? Everything is good over here. Uh, so the Price of Fame was released this past Tuesday, November 7th, in a limited one-night-only event in Nationwide Theaters. How, you know, so far from where you're sitting, how has the reaction been to the film? The reaction, the reaction has been phenomenal. It's, it's, uh... It's really overwhelming, to be honest. Uh, I mean, thousands of people saw this film, and uh, we haven't had any negative feedback. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, feedback. Uh, I mean, a lot of people. I mean, I've had a lot of people say, "Man, uh, you know, uh, made me cry. It made me think. It made me, you know, uh, reevaluate a lot of things." And that's that's really the effect that we that we were hoping for. So. Um, yeah, it's been 
you know, so far it's been a it's been a tremendous success, and we're just we're just got out of the gate to be honest, because uh, it's gonna it's gonna be made available digitally on iTunes, uh, and then it'll it'll be uh, it'll be released on DVD at some point in, in the future, and so we're we're hoping we're going to get it in a lot in the hands of a lot more people. For the rare fan, and I can't imagine why they haven't seen the trailer or at least the film yet. <clears throat> can you give us a quick overview on the price of fame? Uh, I mean, overall, I mean, it's 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 my story, but it's my story as seen through the eyes of basically my son Ted Jr. and to not the same degree, but my and my son Brett, but basically Ted Jr. Uh, but it's our story, and it's a, it's a story of my personal redemption, um, uh, the redemption of me as to my Christian faith, and and the redemption of my marriage. Uh, the relationship between my wife and I, the relationship between me and my boys, um, you know, is, is, is part, is all part of this. And, uh, uh, you know, from the get go, I, I shared with people, uh, but I hoped even if you're not a person of faith, I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian minister. I travel and speak all the time, but even if you're not a person of faith, I think that if you watch this, you're going to see the things that are genuinely important because people chase after fame. People, people chase after success and money and, you know, and I tell guys all the time, it's okay. You want, you want to be number one, go for it. Be the best you, you can be. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't let it go to your head. You know, don't get to the point where, uh, it's the end all be all. Um, and, uh, I'll put it this way. One day, Ted DiBiase is going to die. And when I die, you know, I hope that my boys will stand over my grave and they will. There's, a, there's always a eulogy. And how do you want to be remembered? Well, I don't want to be remembered simply as being a wrestling legend and a Hall of Fame wrestler. I want to be remembered as a man who left a legacy, a legacy worth leaving. I want to be remembered as a man who was grateful for what he had while he had it and then did his best to take that and pay it forward to take that and to, uh, you know, instead of it being all about me, it's, it's, you know, that, and that's the major change I made in my life because until this confrontation with my wife and, and, and being caught in, in adultery and the wild living, uh, it was all about Ted. And it was all about, uh, you know, uh, fill in the void, the emptiness that I had on the road. Uh, there was never a question of the love I had for my wife or my family. It was just that I was caught up in this this uh, this world, and, and it was all about Ted. Uh, and, and when I realized that I had put the most valuable things in my life at risk and realized how totally selfish I had been in the process, uh, it was the it was, it was the ugliest day of my life, and and that's what this story tells. It tells about that redemption and and and, and uh, the impact that my father had on my life, and that I you know, you know I said, I tell guys all the time this too. I said you know what? There's no shame in falling down. I said we all we're all flawed people, you know, uh, and and being flawed people, we're going to make mistakes. Some of them are going to be small. Some of them are going to be massive. But even in the midst of of that get back up. You can always get back up, uh, you know, and as long as you learn from the mistake and then carry on, 
You know, it's like, uh, the, because the opposite of that is, why would you continue to make the same choices expecting to get different results? It's not going to happen. And, and so and I, I, started make, I started to make smart choices again in my life when I was 38 years old. And I tell people all the time, I said, I was, I was almost 27 when I married Melanie. She was 20. And I said, but she waited 10 years for me to grow up. And uh, that's, when I really be, that's when I really started being a man. Uh, you know, we live in a culture where men evaluate their masculinity by things like that fame, how, how much money they make, how big their house is, their car is, and all that other stuff. And, and I tell guys all the time, if you, if you think that's what being a man is, I got two words for you. Grow up, pal. <laughs> that's three words. <laughs> uh, been there and done that. Uh, you, know, you know, being a real man is about being a man of, of character, integrity. What's integrity? It's who you are behind closed doors where nobody can see you. Who's that person? Uh, and being a man of your word, I tell people, all the, guys, I said, you're only as good as your word. If your word's no good, you're worthless. And, uh, cause I was that guy for a while, you know, but I made a change in my life that, that, uh, uh, and I went back to values that I had been raised on when I was a young man. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the price of fame. That's, that, that's the story that it tells. And, uh, and my hope is that as people can look into my life and, and I, and I'm, Guys, I mean, I poured it. I laid it out there for the world to see. I mean, I couldn't be more transparent than I was in this movie about my life, and I did it intentionally in the hopes of no. And so, so, so somebody out there can look at that and go, "Look, if if Ted can do that, and if he can overcome that, then I can overcome it too." Now, the 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 planning process for any type of project like this is is a pretty grueling thing. How long does the planning process take for this to go from pen to paper to film? How long were you guys working on it all together, beginning to end? Uh, you know, it's, it's been, you know, it's, the project's been, uh, um, over, over three years. I mean, and some of the, uh, uh, I know some of the footage is even older than that. Uh, you know, I know that, uh, there's a scene in there where, uh, you know, my son and I are walking and we're walking together in this at the cemetery where my father my father's buried and i could tell by looking you know that my legs were still very bowed well i went oh my gosh i've had my knees replaced five years ago well, i'll be five years this december so the project's actually been that long you know uh and it hit some bumps in the road so it's it's taken a long time and I want to, you know, I want to just tell you right now, Peter Fierro, who, whose idea it was, he, he came to me, presented this to me. It was his idea. He shot all the footage. Uh, and, and, you know, we've gone through this step by step by step painstakingly. And uh, he's, he's edited everything and put it together and done an unbelievable job. Even the, even the whole, I mean, the, the way it all happened, um, I, I call it a God thing. <laughs> uh, Pete, it, it Pete can, uh, came to me and said that he, uh, that he was doing a favor for a friend who wanted a shoot interview, wrestling terminology, shoot interviews. It's real. It's about real life. It's not, it's not wrestling storylines. We're going to ask you questions about your real life. And so when you start asking me questions about my real life, 
you know, I can't tell that story without telling you what God's doing in it. And so as I shared the story with Pete, uh, in Pete's own words, he said at the time, he said, I was the somewhat backslidden son of a minister. And Ted's story resonated with me, and it turned my life around. And so I would, you know, anytime I was in the New York area, Pete would come out and see me and hear me speak and hear me share share this story. And he, you know, and Pete's uh, livelihood is he does uh, wedding photography and video. So he documents weddings. And he'd never done a, he had never done a documentary, not a movie, ever. And so he, he approaches me with this idea, and he says, Ted, he says, I know you have a book. I know that people can, uh, you know, they can get a CD and hear you share your stories, but I would like to put it on film. And uh, I was like, wow. I said, okay, okay. I mean, you know, we're good friends. If you really feel that strongly about it, let's, let's try it. And then my son came along. He joined us when we went out to Arizona to film footage in this little town where I grew up and uh, got this idea. And he said, Dad, he says, you know, you speak to a lot of men and you tell them all the time about the importance of having a good role model, a dad. Uh, and he said, how about we put a twist on the story and we tell it through my eyes? And I said, that's a great idea. Let, let's, let's do that. But I also, by doing that, opened the door for questions that had never been asked. Because uh, when my wife and I went through our, our trauma, uh, my wife said to me, she said, in spite of what you've done to me, you're a great dad. And he, she said, I don't want to destroy that. So until these boys are old enough to understand it, they don't know it. And so, you know, I was obviously, you know, whatever my wife at that point want, wanted, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, give her her wish. So the boys never actually heard the story until they were old enough to sit in church and hear it. And so they had sat in church on a number of occasions and heard me share it. And I said, well, you know, if they have any more questions, they'll come to me. And those questions didn't, didn't happen then until we did the documentary because now my two boys are married and they have their own children. And so it's kind of like, Oh my gosh, you know, dad, you know, it's like, cause they're looking at their wives and they're looking at their children and they realize how much they love them and they knew how much I loved them, but they're like, how could you do this to mom? And that's the story. And, and that's the, uh, the story that's played out in the documentary. And a lot of it comes to light for the very first time uh, when we decided to do this project. You mentioned a bit earlier that this is a story of redemption. Do you feel that you found what you're looking for through this project? Oh, I found what I was looking for long before we did the project. This is just a story. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, my redemption, you know, the, you know, number one, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was not only a professional wrestler, but had a storied career at Nebraska, three time, three consecutive years, conference heavyweight wrestling champion, uh, lettered eight times at Nebraska four four years in football and wrestling. And so I had this incredible role model for a dad and was highly respected in professional wrestling. And he was a good man. He was a good dad. And, and, uh, I can remember my, I can remember him telling me things when I was very young. He said, son, he says, don't follow the crowd. Don't do what everybody else is doing. 
He said, that's easy. You know, you know, you're going to go follow a bunch of guys out. They're going to drink and raise hell and get in trouble. He says, I came out of a, of a neighborhood where that, where that half, that stuff happened all the time. And when I told everybody I wanted to go play football and, 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 uh, and, and they laughed at me. Now, actually my dad didn't tell me those stories. Other people told me those stories about my dad, but my dad did say to me, don't follow the crowd. That's easy. He said, I would rather you be the head, not the tail, be a leader, not a follower. He said, but to do that, that takes courage because you're going against the grain. But he says, if you're willing to work hard, if you're willing to pay the price, you can be anything you want to be if you're willing to invest the time. He says, because at the end of the day, and he says, when you grow old and you look back, the only things you're really going to appreciate are the things you earned, the things that you have sweat equity in, the things that you, you know, that, that, that you worked hard for. And I have found all of those words to be true today. You mentioned uh, your father was a wrestler and you got into a bit of a family business with wrestling. What inspired you to get into this business overall? Or were you ever anti-wrestling? <laughs> well, what inspired me was the love of my dad. And, of course, the one thing my dad didn't want me to be was a wrestler. And it wasn't about the wrestling, uh, you know, and I understand even now more than I ever did. It was about the lifestyle. Because even before the WWF took off and became mainstream and, and, and we became like rock stars, if you were a professional wrestler, you wrestled in what they call regional territories. And, and you basically, in most of those territories, you didn't have any days off. You wrestled every day. Your day off was when you wrestled in the town you happened to have an apartment in. And that's back when you were driving your own car, paying your own way. And all you made was what there were no, there were no big contracts or guarantees. You know, it was that was what wrestling was. But again, it was that lifestyle. You know, it was being away from the home and all the dangers that come along with that. Well, you know, I learned those things the hard way. And so for the same reasons, when my, when I had my own boys, I didn't want them being wrestlers. And I, but I also realized, you know, when they got old enough that they weren't going to understand what I was saying simply by listening to me say it. There are some things that you just don't, it, it, you know, and I realized that no matter how, how much I preach to them, some, some lessons in life are only going to be learned the hard way. My son, Ted Jr., uh, phenomenal. I mean, five years five-year contract with the WWE in one of the meetings with the stockholders, Stephanie McMahon said the the person we, we are probably projecting that will be the next John Cena is Ted DiBiase Jr. He does a movie. He gets great. He gets great reviews on the movie, a kid who never had any acting in his life. So, you know, uh, Vince, Vince looked at me one day and he said, you should be very proud. He said, because your son has an unbelievable future in our business. But when his contract came up and it was time to resign, he didn't. And he didn't for all those same reasons. He said to me, he said, dad, you were right. He said, I love what I'm doing. He said, I love the company. He said, but the nature of the beast, he said, to be a star in this business, he says, the company is your wife because you're, you know, you know, and even though, uh, you know, WWE has like four days, you know, four days on and three days off. And I think sometimes now it depends 
on what shows you're on, you're five days on and two days off. At least you're off two days a week, like people are, you know, on a regular job. But not if you're a star. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, he looked, he watched John Cena. John Cena's a flag bearer. You know, it's like, okay, if you're a star, you know, there's going to be other things uh, that, that, that the company's going to ask you or expect of you, uh, you know, because you are a flag bearer of the company. And, and it's like when you're that when you're that guy when you're the top guy then everybody else is dependent on you because you're the you're the guy you're you you're one of a few guys that are most responsible for attracting the crowd so you're going to be there most of the time so anyway when he understood all of that and he realized that it it he he just simply said it it won't be fair to my wife or my child and i said okay uh, you know you're right and so uh, he did not re-sign with the WWE and thank them for you know all they did and, and went on his way. Now he's a vice president of development for an insurance company uh, and working alongside of me, uh, doing leadership training here in the state of Mississippi, um, and and doing doing phenomenal. And uh, he still travels a little bit, but uh, but most most nights he sleeps in his own bed. Knowing what you know now and, and seeing how it all went, had Ted Jr. stayed, do you feel that he had all the qualities to become that top guy? Absolutely. Ask any one of the producers. Go ask Arn Anderson. Go ask uh, uh, you know Michael Hayes. Go ask the guys that are producing the show. They all said it. I was going through the Price of Fame website there, Ted, and there's a, there's a great picture where you and Ted Jr. are sitting in the old Atlantic City Convention Center, back at the site of WrestleMania 4 and 5. Was that your first time in that building since those days? Yes, it was. And, and sitting there yeah. knowing 29 years prior that you were in the main event versus Randy Savage for the WWF title, what was that like for you? Well, it was, you know, again, it was nostalgic. Uh, it was, you know, that's why we went. We went there to uh, for the purpose of reminiscing and uh, going back, because that was like... Uh, you know, that WrestleMania, and I guess, you know, two things. The the, uh, the Saturday Night Main Event, was, which is the first rematch between Hulk Hogan and Andre since WrestleMania three, which was the first night that professional wrestling was on live national network television since the 1950s. The, the main event was Hogan and Andre. But the story was my purchasing Andre and and saying that I was going to buy the title. And it was the setup for WrestleMania four WrestleMania four, you know, a match with Savage and the, you know, like they almost said, the people go, well, I wrestled, I wrestled at WrestleMania. I said, really? I said, well, I did too. I, you know, I wrestled at, at, at four through eight and, and, and uh, or was it nine, four through nine? I said, but the first one I wrestled in, I had three matches. It was grueling, <laughs> but, uh, that match was savage. I mean, uh, you know, and again, people ask about the, the world title. I mean, constantly get asked questions about the world title. Aren't you disappointed that you were never world champion? I said, guys, you know, even the world champion is not really a world champion. He's an actor. It's a gimmick. It's a, it's a business. And I said, wrestling titles are props. And I said, here's the deal. When, when Pat Patterson looked at me and said, Ted, Let's let's say this because the, the, everybody expects you because you're being pushed as the, the top heel. 
a lot of fans expect that you're going to screw Hogan at WrestleMania four and then have the run. What if that doesn't happen? What if it backfires on you? And in your arrogance, you create your own championship. And as soon as he, as soon as he said it, I said, let's do that. That's going to put more heat on me than doing it the normal way. And I said, and I'll make more money because, and, and, and I did. So there you have it. So I've answered that question again. <laughs> I get tired of answering it. <laughs> it was definitely on our list to ask you. So <laughs> it's interesting to hear your point of view on it. Of course, we're speaking with WWE Hall of Famer, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Be sure to follow Ted over on Twitter at MDM Ted DiBiase. Now, Ted, I want to backtrack even further here for a second. I've, I've read in several interviews and heard you tell several times that the Cowboy Bill Watts had a significant, significant impact on your career. What are some things that the Cowboy taught you that car- that you carried with you all the way through? Well, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint anything. It's just, it's just, in generally speaking, his understanding of the psychology of what pro wrestling is. I mean, his, you know, uh, you know, his guidance in in uh, in terms of of you know how a heel and a baby face wrestle, how they act, how, what, what they do and what they don't do. And the storylines that he did while, while I worked for him and the way he presented them, uh, you know, I mean, little things like, you know, uh, when I decided to turn heel, uh, Bill was, you know, he, you know, he planted things in people's heads before they even realized it. So before I'm ever, I ever turn on JYD, we we set we do a thing where I uh, I'm wrestling somebody I can't remember who and he ducks and I hit the ring post and I supposedly break my hand and so we put my hand in it and my wrist in a cast for uh, two or three weeks and then then when my hand comes out of the cast for the next several weeks everybody sees that I'm wearing this black glove on my right hand and they're just saying well DiBiase's probably you know he's you know his hand is still you know, recovering from what he did to it. Then I have the match with JYD and I load that glove and knock him out. And then Bill Watts goes, people, do you realize now how long he's been planning this? This goes all the way back to, you know, the thing with his wrist, you know, and did that, did he really bust his wrist? I mean, you know, Bill Watts was that smart. And so now you got the people going, oh my gosh, this guy's been setting us up, you know, for, for weeks now. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that I admired Bill Watts for. Not only that, but, you know, like, uh, I remember he started noticing guys were, you know, it's like, gosh, it's becoming more about bumps, bumps, bumps. And so he took me and Terry Gordy and he said, I want you guys to wrestle. You're wrestling, you know, each other every night for the next week. And he says, I want you to do 55 minutes and then give him a finish. Of course, to do a 55-minute match, you can't be doing all those high spots. Right. You have to sit down and you have to tell a story and you're in and out of holes and what have you. And he said, he said, uh, he said I want you to, you know, I'm, I'm doing this to prove a point that it still works. And it did. Now we had guys, you know, the fans and the you know, you know, that were at at the beginning of the first ten or fifteen minutes going, get up, do something, you know, boring and but by the twenty minute mark, 
we had them <laughs> and we had, we had them all because now they were into the story. And, uh, you know, so he, I don't know, this bill had bill had his, I mean, Bill Watts, uh, in my mind was one of the greatest minds this business ever had. I mean, and he learned from one, a guy who everybody considers one of the very best. And that was Eddie Graham. You know, today, I, you know, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I, I don't watch enough wrestling anymore. And I, to be honest with you, it's a different game today. And I think, you know, everything evolves every, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for what the company did for me. Uh, you know, but you know, I was a wrestler and, 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 you know, it's WWE's world wrestling entertainment and it's, uh, it's a lot more drama than it is, you know, wrestling to me anyway today. And, uh, and again, that's, that's a lot of what I hear from the fans who come to see me. And of course the fans who come to see me are fans that grew up in my era and, and they were fans of that product. I mean, the companies has a whole new fan base now, you know, <laughs> you know, WrestleMania has become a brand and, you know, you got three quarters of the people that come to WrestleMania. I understand come from foreign countries. They have a whole so universe it's unbelievable now. Unbelievable <laughs> what they what they've done, but uh, you know, uh, it's you know, it's just a different game today. Bill Watts and Vince McMahon. Are you able to compare the two? Yeah, I, you know, Vince McMahon is a marketing genius. He took wrestling from a blue collar crowd form of entertainment, and he made it mainstream. You know, when I first started in wrestling and grew up in it, you weren't going to see anybody at the wrestling matches dressed in khaki pants and polo shirts. Rough crowd. He made it mainstream. He dressed up the characters, added entrance music, and made them over the top. Uh, and that's what he initially did. And, of course, things change as you go along. And, and you know, had your attitude era, you know, and whatever. I don't know what you want to call it now. But Vince... Vince is a marketing genius and, and the difference between Vince and Bill is that Vince never really wrestled. I mean, his dad was a promoter and that's what, and obviously Vince has gotten in the ring a few times, but he's not a wrestler and he's never, he's never experienced the psychology of a wrestling match the way guys like me did. So how could he understand it? Do you follow me? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Okay, so Bill Watts, you know, yeah, he became a wrestling promoter and an owner of Mid-South Wrestling, but he was a wrestler, so he got it. He understood it, and, you know, and it's like that. that the other thing that Bill always constantly said was, make it real. He understood. I mean, Bill said, gosh, guys, look, you know, like, uh, you don't, we don't need to be the biggest marks. He says, if you don't think people uh, can watch wrestling and figure it out, but we want to present it as realistically as we can. So if you're a, a, a face and you stay, you know, you, you know, you don't be seen with the guys you're wrestling. You know, it's like, the, it's kind of like going to a magic show. You know that it's not real. You know, they really can't make it elephant disappear, but they did. You just don't know how they did it. It's sleight of hand. It's illusion. And so you're intrigued by it. When you walk into a movie, you know, it's a movie. But if the actors are really good, they draw you into their story for that for that two hours that you sit there in that movie, and that he compared it to that as well. So I, you know, I I I got that. So that's that would be the difference uh, between the two. 
a member of the WWE Hall of Fame, class of 2010. Was there a sense of completion, Ted, uh, on your career when you got the call to be inducted? Uh, yeah, of, of course. You know, I mean, I was, you know, I was honored to be inducted. I mean, to be to be set apart and honored by your peers uh, is, you know, it's it's a humbling thing, or it should be, I think. Uh, and you know, I was I was pleased that I was that I was honored and, uh, you know, cause there's, you know, I look, there's a lot of guys that I really looked up to that, that went in before me. So it's, it's, it's humbling and, uh, and, and an honor to be a part of that crowd. Who were some of your favorite guys to work with? Oh my gosh. I mean, early in my career, uh, Dick Murdoch, um, a guy named killer Carl Cox, the funks, uh, you know, I never got to wrestle Jack Briscoe, but Jerry Briscoe, I wrestled, uh, uh, these are guys that helped me in my early career. Uh, Harley Race, oh my gosh. Um, those were guys that helped shape me and who I would become. Uh, of my peers, you know, I loved working with Jake. I loved I loved working with Hogan. Hogan was easy. Uh, Hogan understood his gimmick. People don't give Hulk, Hulk Hogan enough credit. I said, if you, if you don't think Hulk Hogan can work, go watch the match that he had with the Ultimate Warrior when he made the Warrior champion, it's the best match the Warrior ever had in his life. WrestleMania and it wasn't six. Because he was calling it. It was because Hulk was calling the whole thing. So Hulk's really a lot. You know, Hulk worked his gimmick. Uh, I love Jake. Uh, you know, I never had it. I never had the opportunity to have a program with uh, Bret Hart, but he and I had just two or three matches, and they were all they were just all stellar. I loved working with Bret. You know, same. I guess same school of psychology, so to speak. Uh, and I sat Randy Savage. I loved working with Randy. I uh, had, had, you know, you know, during that run when we were having all those tag team matches and stuff, it was yeah, we had some great matches as well. Loved having Andre as a partner. <laughs> <laughs> who who wouldn't? <laughs> no kidding. On a personal note, I just have to say you were one of my favorite characters of all time, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And my introduction to you, and I'm sure this is something you don't remember, but way back in when you came to Philly one time and you pulled my cousin out of the crowd and asked him to do push-ups in the ring for $100. Couldn't do one, but it was my most favorite moment of my wrestling fandom, Ben. It was just so special and so much fun. <laughs> wow, that's funny. All right, Ted, last question for me. What lessons do you hope people come away with from watching The Price of Fame? Well, I would hope that people can walk away from that movie understanding that all the things we chase in life, money, fame, prestige, uh, and stuff, they aren't going to make you happy. Oh, they might make you happy for a little while, but they're never going to give you peace in your life. And they're, they're never going to totally satisfy. Uh, you know, the Bible says that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And so it's not about the stuff. And I tell everybody, I said, you know, you think about all those people that just, they just labor all their life to, to accumulate all this wealth and then they die. And after they're dead, somebody else lives in their house, drives their car, and spends their money. <laughs> I said, I've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul trailer. You can't <laughs> take it with you. So true. So, you know, 
there are things in life that are more valuable than money. Family is one of those things. And people ask me, they go, well, Ted, they said, you're, you're really a multimillionaire? And I go, no, nope, I'm not. I said, but I'll tell you what I do have. I have peace in my life today. I can look in the mirror, and I'm okay with the guy. So you look at back now. I have the love and respect of my wife. I have the love and respect of my children. And I have the unbelievable privilege and uh, joy of watching my grandchildren grow up. And you simply can't put a price tag on any of those things. They're, they are, in my book, much more valuable. Well, Ted, congratulations on the film. The Price of Fame, of course, is the name of the movie. And I hope everyone gets to see it and hear your story. And we thank you for coming on for a few minutes today. Guys, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you having me on. The great WWE Hall of Famer turtle, the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. The most iconic laugh in the history of sports entertainment. It's magical. His story is fantastic. We appreciate Ted coming on for just a, you know, it was actually a little bit more than a couple minutes. I loved hearing him talk. I I didn't want him to stop. I just wanted to hear all of his stories. We could have went on and on with Ted all day, but we thank him for coming on. Hey, all of our earlier episodes are available in the archives. Do us a favor. Search Wrestler Court on iTunes. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Some five-star reviews would be great, wouldn't they? I, I would love a five-star review. I think we're a five-star show, and maybe we'll get some... Five-star people to review us, too. Look at us fishing for five-star reviews. Please. Five-star reviews. Please. Did you Please. Five, did you five-star review? Of course I did. I five-star reviewed us. Did you five-star <laughs> review us? I don't know that I did. <laughs> well, then I'm one ahead of you. Hashtag Turtles the host, Kevin's the co-host. On that note, do us a favor and also follow us on social media on the show account at Wrestler Court. Turtle is at Eric S. Golden. I am at Real Kev Keenan. Until next week, this has been Wrestler Court with Keenan and Turtle. Powered by Sports Radio 94, WIP.